At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. A landscape unlike any other, Georgia's coast is home to vital communities and people from all walks of life fighting to protect it. Help keep Georgia's coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. I'm Alex Helmick, Managing Editor of WABE News, and on this Week in Review, the Chancellor of Georgia's public college system says he's focused on making higher education affordable. What does it take? How can someone who may not come from means feel like they can financially achieve a four-year degree in our university system? But as we'll hear later, maybe not going so far as to making education free or supporting the plan to eliminate student debt. More with Chancellor Sonny Perdue in about 10 minutes. First up, charges were dismissed this week against two Atlanta police officers involved in the deadly shooting of a man outside of a fast food restaurant in 2020. WABE's Raul Bally took a look at the decision in the death of Rayshard Brooks. Atlanta police officers were first called out to the Wendy's for someone who had fallen asleep in their car while in the drive through line. Officers Devin Brosnan and eventually Garrett Rolfe responded, engaging in a calm 40-minute conversation. When officers tried to arrest Brooks for DUI, that's when things turned deadly. Special Prosecutor Pete Scandalakis. Officers had no way of knowing or anticipating that within seconds of this encounter, both would be attacked by Brooks and that Brooks would overpower them, take the taser from one of them, fire the stolen taser at both of them, and then attempt to escape while continuing to fire the taser at the pursuing officer. That's when Officer Rolf opened fire, hitting Brooks twice. On Tuesday, Scandalakis and his co-counsel Danny Porter spent more than an hour explaining the decision during a press conference, which included showing still images from multiple videos of the events leading up to the deadly shooting. Porter addressed questions about Brooks being hit in the back while running away. In this case, Officer Ross' first shot was fired while Brooks was still aiming the taser at him. All three shots were fired in approximately 0.56 seconds. L. Chris Stewart, an attorney for Rayshard Brooks's family, takes issue with deadly force being used as Brooks ran away instead of when officers were physically struggling with Brooks. They didn't know if he was reaching for a gun or whatever. They could have used deadly force, and I would have backed any officer that did it. But they did not. They did not. They chose not to when they were justified. But they decided to use lethal force as a man was running away 19 feet away. On a larger level, Stewart says the issue is that a jury or grand jury never got to consider the case. All we're asking is that the community resolves these situations when it's a close call and it goes to a grand jury, letting the people decide. Stewart says the path now is a civil suit against the city of Atlanta. Raul Bally, WABE News. 
More of President Donald Trump's White House and campaign aides could be forced to appear in front of a special grand jury in Fulton County. Prosecutors are moving to subpoena former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, campaign lawyer Sidney Powell, and two others. WABE's Sam Greenglass told us about it. The new filings show prosecutors reaching further into Trump's inner circle as they investigate efforts to overturn Georgia's 2020 election result. Prosecutors detail Mark Meadows' participation in a January 2021 call when Trump pressured Georgia's Secretary of State to find him about 12,000 votes. They also note how Meadows showed up uninvited to an audit of absentee ballot signatures in Cobb County. Sidney Powell prominently hawked Trump's election fraud claims, and she participated in legal efforts to challenge votes. Powell also reportedly helped oversee efforts to access voting machines in several battleground states, including Georgia. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. Environmental groups are likely to keep fighting the controversial mine proposed near Georgia's Okefenokee Swamp, which appears to be back on track after a settlement with the federal government. Molly Samuel told us this week, this is the latest in an ongoing back and forth over who has environmental oversight of the project. The titanium mine proposed by a company called Twin Pines would sit just outside the Okefenokee National Wildlife Refuge in South Georgia. Under Trump administration policy, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers decided it didn't have jurisdiction over the area, meaning an expensive and lengthy environmental review wouldn't be required. Then, earlier this year, the Corps reversed that decision because it had failed to consult with the Muscogee Creek Nation, whose ancestral lands include the Okefenokee. Twin Pines sued and this week reached a settlement with the Corps, bringing them back to the earlier stance that there won't be a federal review. It's kind of like a, a game of ping pong, honestly. Environmental attorney Josh Marks has been advocating against this mine for years, concerns about how it could affect the unique environment of the swamp. Those of us who have been following this project really closely have a major case of whiplash and are really disappointed and are very worried about what the future holds for the Okefenokee. Senator John Ossoff, who's pushed to block the mine, says he's monitoring the developments. In a statement, Twin Pines President Steve Engel said the federal settlement is great news for his project and for the jobs he says it'll create. The mine does still have to get state permits. That process had been put on hold, but will now start up again. Molly Samuel, WABE News. Well, Sonny Perdue has had many titles, state senator, Georgia governor, U.S. agriculture secretary, but now he goes by chancellor of the state's public college and university system. Purdue talked with WAB's Martha Dalton this week about a range of topics, including a new website called Georgia Degrees Pay, where prospective students can compare attendance costs and their future earnings at all of Georgia's 26 public institutions. A big push for us at the university system, Martha, now is affordability. Everyone understands uh, really the cost of higher education, but what we want to also talk about is the great value. When we talk about return on investment, affordability is a big part of that. So uh, including student loan outcomes, what's an, an average student loan debt coming out of there? That's kind of in the news this week, uh, obviously. What does it take? How can someone who may not come from means feel like they can financially achieve 
a four-year degree in our university system. Let me ask you what you think about the announcement of loan debt forgiveness up to $20,000 per person, depending on income. That would obviously affect a lot of USG graduates and people currently working in Georgia. What are your thoughts on the plan? I guess I would have to ask the question, is that regressive or progressive? Uh, Really, who's going to pay the bills? Uh, How does the equity issue, well, a lot of talk about equity now, how does the equity equity for those students and families who struggle to graduate without debt, maybe uh, driving old cars or old clothes or those kind of things in order to graduate debt-free or with little debt there, how does that compare from a fairness perspective with those who achieved a lot of uh, student debt. So I think uh, there are a lot of questions surrounding that. I guess it depends on where you come from. Well, along the lines of financial aid, Georgia has long considered adding a need-based financial aid program. The HOPE program obviously covers a good percentage of tuition for a lot of students, but need-based aid would cover the gap for, say, living expenses. It's an idea that's gotten bipartisan support. What are your thoughts on a need-based aid program? Do you think it would be a boon to the university system? Well, I think it would be a boon, but I think that's where we're trying to do through our foundations, both at the institutional level and our University System of Georgia Foundation from needs-based in that regard. That's why also, Martha, we're really focusing on the overall affordability When you look at the affordability of university system education compared to other states and other places, it is a good value. That's why we want to keep it affordable as possible. Needs basis is good. Uh, We've had very uh, great uh, acceleration of Pell-based scholarships that is uh, very much increased. Those are need-based. But again, people value what they pay for. I think it's important to train young people over value. We pay for a lot of things. What value do we get from our cell phones or our vehicles or our tattoos or whatever that we pay for? So uh, how do we value education in that regard as well? I think it has to be very much realistic in that way. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you about something that actually happened before you came on board. The Board of Regents made some changes to the tenure process. And there was concern among some professors that some of the changes that were made would affect the university system's ability to attract and retain staff. One concern being that the board could step in if it deemed a school's process wasn't rigorous enough. What are your thoughts on the tenure changes? Yeah, I think what we found out, Martha, like many things, the angst in the conversation prior to this decision and even somewhat afterwards was somewhat hyperbolic based on actually what took place. When you look at the policy changes, they were frankly minimalist. There's no change in faculties being in charge of this process. This dealt with people and frankly was requested from some within the academic circles of those few, very few people who just would not respond to any kind of performance improvement plan. So uh, the outcome and the and the damage of this Uh, is going to be extremely minimal, and it only is going to apply for those people who are just in transit and changing or or from a productivity perspective and using tenure as a crutch uh, for doing uh, essentially nothing. And that's very, very rare. We understand that. But there are very few changes as far as uh, how the process from a due process standpoint 
really works. That was Georgia University System Chancellor Sonny Perdue talking with WAB's Martha Dalton. And you're listening to WAB's Weekend Review with me, Alex Helmick. There is so much great stuff from the news team this week. You can check it out at WABE.org. The world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Well, all this week, the All Things Considered team looked at what things cost in Georgia. In one story, in our Pretty Penny series, we looked at how much a burger costs, from labor, rent, beef, buns, all the way down to the ketchup on your french fries. Going out for a burger has gotten more expensive, but how much more? Well, that depends a lot on how much finessing a restaurant owner can do, but they're restaurateurs, not magicians. WABE's Lily Oppenheimer took us out to lunch. Pull up to Grindhouse's Memorial Drive location in southeast Atlanta. People are playing ping pong, watching the Braves game at the bar, drinking and spending. And the longer they drink, the more they spend. That's exactly what owner Alex Brownstein wants to happen. With the highest inflation rates we've seen in 40 years and food costs on the rise, he needs all the padded profit he can get. All the costs are going up. You know, we're just accepting what it is. I mean, you can't change that. You can just roll with the punches. And and so we're finding ways to keep our prices fair to customers. Fair used to be $4.99 for a single patty. Fries and a drink would cost an extra $2.99. Now that same patty is $5.99. Fries and a drink, now $4.50. Brownstein says, well, serving a burger sounds classic and simple. It's not. He can't predict where prices are going, but he can show me where they've been. In 2018, bulk ground beef was $41. That got him about 60 burgers. This year, he's paying 65. To understand the breakdown, he says, picture a whole burger, then throw half away. That's the food costs and what he has to pay somebody to make it. You know, out of a $5 burger, $2.80 is gone. Then you've got rent, electric, all the other costs. So on a $5 burger, you know, maybe you make 50 cents. Maybe a dollar if you're lucky. He says he is pretty lucky. He's made it through the toughest of times. But to keep the doors open, he has to beef up the menu prices. The problem is now that not only have costs gone up, but the number of people getting takeout has gone up. And the way that people interact with a restaurant, you know, maybe we did 10 or 15, 20% max of takeout orders prior to the pandemic. Now with online ordering, we're doing maybe 40% of our business in takeout. All those extra to-go containers only take more out of his profits. Georgia Restaurant Association President Karen Bremer says he's not alone. And the average 
pre-tax margins have fallen to about 1%. Normally, traditionally in the restaurant industry, 4 to 6% is considered a good profit margin. The reason is because across the board, costs have gone up. It doesn't matter if you're serving a burger or breakfast. Just within the last 12 months, eggs are up 156%, butter's up 61%, flour's up 39%. That leaves restaurant owners with a choice. Find cheaper ingredients or raise prices. But choose wisely. People become very accustomed, particularly regulars, of paying the same thing. You know, if you, if you go to a quick service restaurant and you get, you know, a burger and fries and a Coke, you're always used to paying a certain amount. And when that goes up, that takes you aback and it makes you think, huh, is this really worth the value? Is this really worth the convenience? Back in Grindhouse's kitchen, owner Alex Brownstein is showing me where the sausage is made, or in this case, the burger. He says higher prices have not cost him customers. Advantage one. Advantage two, he's got a lot of buying power. I think that a lot of the suppliers just took the opportunity that they, you know, they knew that this was the time to raise prices and nobody can say anything. And some of it's definitely actual cost. Some of it's probably just because they can. And we buy a lot of volume now. And so we can lock in some contracts that a lot of smaller restaurants wouldn't even be able to, to do. Brownstein warned us it wouldn't be simple, but he believes he's found a pricing sweet spot. For now, people are willing to pay a dollar more for that burger and maybe have an extra few drinks, too. Lily Oppenheimer, WABE News. That's it for this week. I want to thank our WABE News team. Great work. Get more at WABE.org and tell your smart speaker to play WABE. I'm Alex Helmick. Thanks for listening.